Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a global biopharmaceutical company that has developed four FDA-approved cancer medicines in the past four years for a variety of tumor types. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about Testicular Cancer Awareness Month with Dr. Preston Sprenkel. Dr. Sprenkel is an associate professor of medical oncology at Yale School of Medicine, and Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology at Yale and director of hematologic malignancies at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Preston, thanks for uh, joining me tonight. Happy to be here. I'm laughing because I can't tell you how many months there are, and I didn't realize the testicular cancer was common enough to get its own month. I mean, maybe a weekend or something. It uh, It is not real common. Um, it is common in young men, but uh, still it's a pretty rare, pretty rare tumor, so it's not one that uh, everyone needs to be worried about necessarily. Yeah, but really important, right? Well, it is. I think it is very easy to detect with uh, self-exam, mm-hmm. so it's something that uh, young men should definitely be looking out for, and uh, when it's detected early, it's very curable, so with, uh, with, minimal, with minimal treatment, so... That's that's great. So, what uh, ages are at risk for testicular cancer? So it's typically postpubescent boys and young men. So from age mid mid teens, so fifteen to about thirty five, is the highest incidence of uh, testicular cancer. So usually men in their twenties and early thirties should uh, should be on the lookout. And being on the lookout means what? means doing uh, self-examination. So about once a month in the shower, just um, doing a testicular self-exam to feel for anything that seems to be growing or any hard nodules. It can be anything from the size of a pea to grain of rice to something that grew and all of a sudden the testicle is twice the size that it was the month before. And those Mm. are all potential signs of testicular cancer. Well, we know that many young men pay a lot of attention to the contents of their scrotum. Uh, I'm told. Uh, and I also have found um, just in, you know, my medical practice that a lot of men don't really understand the contents of their scrotum. Yeah, this is, this is true. So it's, um, there are definitely resources online. You can Google search testicular self-exam and it's really easy to, there's some simple videos and diagrams and sort of looking at the contents of the testicle. I mean, the testicle is the main thing, um, but there is the epididymis, which right. sits behind the testicle and the vas. And that's why self-exams are important. You feel what's there and you get used to what you feel. And really what we're looking for with testicular self-exams is a change. Okay. So, so you know, I don't know. I would think that if it were me uh, and I felt a change, my initial response would be, well, that's probably nothing and I'm not going to like go 
running anywhere, uh, you know, just because I felt a little change, I'm going to probably want to just assume it's going to go away. Right. And unfortunately, we do see a delay on average about four to six months from the time someone has identified something. Oh, months. I was thinking maybe a couple weeks. Right. So then, but that is a problem to wait that long. So if you feel something that's abnormal, it's worth getting it checked out right away because uh, when these tumors are smaller, they can be treated with a surgical removal alone. However, if it if you wait those four to six months, we definitely do see an increase in need for things like chemotherapy, radiation, and other more intensive treatments. Yeah, but you know, most um, young men, I would think, don't have urologists, right? I mean, that's for older guys like me. Sure, yeah, they don't need to have a urologist. They can go to their pediatrician, go to their primary care physician, even a nurse. If they feel something abnormal, they should have someone else examine it, and the first step is typically an ultrasound. Okay. So a non-invasive imaging test, no radiation involved, it's not anything to be be scared of. It's uh, pretty simple, cheap, and uh, very diagnostic. Okay, so you get your ultrasound. It's like a sonogram, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that shows maybe a cyst or it could, yeah. So it, it that's why we do the sonogram. So if it shows that there is a mass that's abnormal, then um, then we'd usually do do a quick outpatient surgical procedure to remove the testicle. And wait, that, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. You didn't say that. You didn't say what I heard you said. Yes. If there's a quick something... outpatient procedure to remove my testicle? Correct. Forget about it. Correct. Really? Yeah. So if there is something concerning. So the ultrasound can reassure us. There's no way are you there. doing ultrasound on me, buddy. I'm serious. No, no, I'm joking. But uh, that's, you know, you say that pretty glibly. And I'm sure that most of your patients re- react like I do, no? Um, there are definitely some that do. Uh, I think that, you know, the important thing to remember is you have two testicles. One of them is definitely enough for you to maintain sexual function, to maintain potency, to be able to have kids. So the concern is that this testicular cancer, if not identified and treated, can kill you. And so, you know, we we see this in young men, and it is a success story in that we are very successful in treating it, but with without doing that. It, it does seem like a big step, and men are very attached to their testicles. Um, and vice versa. And vice versa. But uh, by but removing one can be curative. So that treatment alone can be curative of testicular cancer, especially if identified early. Now, wait a minute, Preston. Okay, so now we know that we tell women to do breast self-exam, although I, I know that's not as much in favor as it used to be. But let's just say people are screened for breast cancer, mm-hmm. and they something abnormal is found, and they don't go out there and say, I'm going to do a quick outpatient procedure to remove your breast. They put a needle in it under ultrasound or something like that. Why can't we do that? Correct. Um, Well, we don't use a needle biopsy because it's often wrong. Um, And uh, there is concern that by using a needle biopsy, it actually can spread the tumor. Um, because it changes the drainage of the lymphatics associated with a testicular tumor. Mm. And we're not doing this. So I think the difference is there are many things on self-exam that are detected in a breast Mm self-exam that are we call false positives. So you feel something, but it's not a cancer. With testicular cancer, if you feel something abnormal and the ultrasound shows that it's abnormal, it very likely is a testicular cancer. Okay, so once you've had the ultrasound and the ultrasound says you got a problem. You have a problem. You have a problem. But, yeah. but just again, to, so that you know, all the other guys in the audience aren't like still clinging to the ceiling, not everything that they feel that's abnormal or change is going to be cancer, right? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. No. So there are a large number of them that are cis. So the, I guess, right. So just because you feel something abnormal doesn't mean you're going to lose a testicle. If you feel something abnormal, it's important to take the next step of have your physician evaluate you and have an ultrasound because doing that early means that if there is something there, you have a high chance of cure. And also we can put your mind at rest earlier. So it's important to have the evaluation early to figure out what's going on, but absolutely not. There are many men with cysts. There are many men with testicular pain. Um, There are even, you know, men, blue balls, like you can get something like that. It it happens. That's not a real thing. It is a real thing. It is a real thing. It's congestion of the uh, of the vas deferens, actually. So you can definitely have that. Those kind of things do not mean you have testicular cancer. Uh, but if you notice something, like if you have a cyst on your testicle and it changes in size or you want to just get it checked out, it's very reasonable to get it checked out. An ultrasound can say, yep, this is just a cyst. There's nothing to worry on. An ultrasound is very good at determining what is a cyst and what is something more concerning. And many men have uh, kind of like varicose veins around the testis, right? Yeah. So that's another that's another very common thing. Um, it's kind of a bag of worms feel, and it definitely feels different, uh, and that surrounds the testicle. So the testicle should still be you should still be able to touch and feel the testicle, and the shape of the testicle itself shouldn't really change based on that. But varicocele is another abnormality within the scrotum. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So now that we're all calm and we've decided okay I'm gonna go get this ultrasound I'm hoping it's you know one of these cyst things which you're probably gonna leave alone right unless I have trouble with fertility or something like that yeah the cysts actually the most often they're in the epididymis they're benign it's really we don't treat those unless you have symptoms and it bothers you so those don't typically affect fertility gotcha yeah and uh, so now we're gonna do this quick (laughs) outpatient (laughs) procedure that we don't want to that which shall not be named I believe it's called orchiectomy right that's correct sounds a lot prettier than it is because it sounds like a flower like an orchid <laughs> yes yes it does yeah <laughs> and uh, i don't think people know uh i don't think the lay people know how you do that i f- guess people usually think you just yank yank a testicle out from the bottom of the scrotum that's not what happens right no it's not um so it, it's it's actually similar to a, a hernia procedure uh, we make a small incision in the groin um, and uh, like the top of the leg groin. The top of the leg groin. Not the yep. scrotum at all. Not the scrotum at all. So we actually, that's one of the reasons we don't put needles through to biopsy. We want to actually not go through the scrotum because there's a different lymphatic and vascular drainage from the scrotum than there is from the testicle. The testicle embryologically, embry, embryologically. embryologically, embryologically, the testicle embryologically originates near the kidneys. And so then as it descends, so its veins and lymphatics come from around the kidneys. So as it descends, it goes into the little pocket of the scrotum, but we try to get a little bit higher that where it enters the scrotum up in sort of the abdominal cavity. And that's where you take it out. And that's where we take it out. And that's how we prevent it from spreading as much as we can uh, at the time of removal. Now, some... uh some testicular cancer, if I recall, uh, is related, or at least we were taught it was related to guys whose testis didn't descend normally when they were babies. Is that still thought to be the case, or is so not there, so much? So there is an increased incidence in men who have an undescended testicle. That is correct. Um, we still do recommend if the testicle is undescended, that's one reason to bring it down into the scrotum. Uh, it doesn't necessarily change the risk if it mm-hmm. isn't done before the first year of life. Um, but it does make it easier to do self-exams to detect if something is there. And then do those people need to be scrutinizing themselves more carefully? Is that something you teach? 
Um, people are no, definitely. If someone has an undescended testicle and has uh, that pulled down, then their physician, pediatrician, urologist, if they're still seeing the urologist, should be talking with them about self-exam and the importance of that. Got it. Okay, so. Now, this is going to sound silly to you, Preston, but let's say I'm a 25-year-old guy, and I'm single, and you've just done this quick little outpatient procedure, and now I feel like I don't look right, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm used to seeing kind of a nice symmetrical scrotum and feeling a nice symmetrical scrotum, and now I've got kind of a lopsided thing. I, like, is, is that not an issue for people? It can be, but uh, we actually have prostheses. So we have a testicular prosthesis that we can make it so that it's pretty much the same size as the one we took out or the same size as the one on the other side, depending on what your preference is. And we can either put that in at the time of surgery or do it later if you don't want to. So if someone is concerned about body image, and that's a very realistic concern. Yeah, I'm not trying um, to make fun of anybody. No, I'm yeah, being, no, being it's, really quite serious. It's, it's a very reasonable concern, and, and for many men, we do put that in. Some men are like, I don't really care, you're, but you're right. It's more for people who are single, not in a relationship. And body image is, is very important to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we have that as an option. And again, not to be too graphic here, but uh, from a from a um, textural kind of qualitative point of view, does it feel like a normal testicle from the outside? Or? It definitely looks like a normal testicle if you really are uh, if. If you're doing a very careful exam, you can tell which one is the prosthesis and which one is a normal testicle. Mm-hmm. But So it feels a little different, but it looks the same. Okay. Phew. <laughs> okay, so we got past that little um, procedure. Yeah. And you made me look better or back to normal. And so I'm all done. That's it, right? Uh, yeah, that can be. So it definitely can be. Depends what on. What do you mean can be? Well, it depends on what we found. Well, what right. do you find? So, Tell me what you can find. Yeah, so um, if we're going to do an orchiectomy, so remove the testicle, we often will recommend that men uh, that men bank sperm first, just in case any additional treatment is necessary. Um, you said that one testicle is enough. It is, but in case we need to do any additional treatment, oh, it's gotcha. usually a good idea to do that. So additional treatments... Um, so there's also imaging. So we remove the testicle. depends if there's a tumor or not. If there's a tumor, we want to do imaging to make sure that we got everything out and it was only in the testicle. So we take a CAT scan of the abdomen, and depending on if there's any evidence of cancer there, we may need additional treatment. Um, okay. Well, uh, we're going to want to learn more about that, I'm sure. Um, but right now we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a Medical Minute about survivorship. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. For cancer survivors, the return to normal activities and relationships can be difficult, and some survivors face long-term side effects resulting from their treatment including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources are available to help keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. 
This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I've been joined by uh, tonight by my guest, Dr. Preston Sprankle. We've been discussing testicular cancer. Preston, uh, before the break, uh, you shattered my hopes that, uh, that once I got myself through the surgery and I got my prosthesis, I was necessarily all done. Hopefully I am. But now you've gone and taken me to a CAT scan of the abdomen. Why the abdomen? So, as I mentioned, because the testicles originate up near the kidneys, oh, right. the drainage for the testicles is actually near the kidneys. And so we want to check and see if there are any lymph nodes that are enlarged in that area. And if that is negative, fortunately, depending on the type of cancer, but up to 85-90% of men could be cured with just removing the testicle alone. Um, and that's why for many of the men, uh, again, depending on their, their stage, um, we can just follow them with surveillance. So repeat blood tests and the periodic imaging without needing any additional treatment. In the men that do have either high-risk features or we do see that some of the lymph nodes are enlarged, then additional treatment is needed. I see. So how long do people need this kind of surveillance if it was relatively low risk? How long are they monitored for? The monitoring is graded, so it's more intensive initially because within the first couple years is when we would expect to see any recurrence if we're going to. Uh, but we typically, the guidelines continue to change, so I don't know what it's going to be in five years. But right now, we usually follow people for five to ten years hmm. and then intermittently. That's got to be kind of anxiety-producing for people. It can be. Mm -hmm. Yep, it definitely can be. And because these things can change quickly, um, it's important that if you're – are following up on surveillance that you see your doctor routinely. Uh, and that's one of the things that we determined. Some men would prefer, rather than having to do the intensive surveillance, um, to do some upfront treatment. Well, tell me about that. Um, so there are a few different types of upfront treatment. One can be sort of chemotherapy, um, and that is systemic therapy, but we usually do less of it than we would uh, if there were was evidence of metastases. Um, there's surgery to remove the lymph nodes that are in sort of the abdomen or the back, the retroperitoneum, we call it. That sounds brutal. Uh, it is a big procedure, um, but uh, it... Keeps you in business. It keeps, yeah, it keeps <laughs> the surgeons in business. Um, but, you know, we've made, we've made improvements in technique and ways of doing the surgery to limit the side effects. And mm -hmm. that's, that's really what all of this is about. We're dealing with young men who have a very long life expectancy. So we're trying to, we want to have as little impact on their overall quality of life while maintaining as much quantity of life as possible. So we now are seeing with longer term follow-up some of the toxicity of early radiation and mm -hmm. early chemotherapy. Um, so for that reason, we're pushing even more towards the surveillance as much as I we see. can because now that men are living 30, 40 years after their treatment, uh, we see some increased cardiac toxicity with some of these and increased secondary malignancies. Oh, I see. So, so we want to not treat unless we have to. So while, but for some men, their anxiety and their feeling like, I don't want to have to come to the doctor every three months or every month. All right, uh, and if they a get couple a couple, couple cycles of chemo, they could be all done. Potentially, yeah. We still would follow, but it would be much with much less intensity. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I think all of us or many of us have heard the, you know, the story of our favorite cyclist, uh, Lance Armstrong. Uh, and as I recall, when he first had, maybe it was a relapse, I don't know what, but when when he first had testicular cancer, as I recall, he had uh, tumors in his brain and chest and everywhere. He did. 
Yeah, he had uh, very advanced stage four disease. This is one of the, I mean, the, he was very fortunate, but still the long-term survival rate is about 75% with men like that. So our chemotherapy is very effective. Mm-hmm. It's not as high as the low-grade guys where it's only their testicle, where lifetime survival is 99% or wow. a 10-year, 10-year survival is 99%. So, you know, it's... Uh, we definitely have a lot of success by finding it early, and then we can treat people who have the advanced disease. So it, it's worth knowing if you have it. There definitely are some hiccups, but doing it earlier and, and not having to go through the chemotherapy and stuff that he did. I mean, he's a very unique physical specimen. Sure, he's, he's not. Indeed. Most people are not going to go through the chemotherapy he did and then be, you know, winning the Tour de France, the Tour de France again. Um, so I think we. We want to find this early and treat it early to limit people's exposure to treatment. Do you know if Lance uh, has been public about whether he had a pre-existing tumor that he had ignored or whether there's any information about that or he just presented with a really aggressive cancer? I think he just presented. I I haven't heard, um, but I think he just presented with a really aggressive cancer. I mean, we do see that. We see men with very small testicular tumors that can have widespread metastases. Hmm. But it sounds like, I I guess, the the take-home message is that most of these men are being cured, uh, and it's easier if you detect things early. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, And finding it early allows us to treat it early and... By treating it early, we can usually use less treatment. So, yeah. So that's good. So let's talk a little bit about quality of life. We talked about the cosmetic problem that you've already fixed. And you talked about uh, banking semen just in case fertility is an issue. But for for the guys who don't end up needing any radiation or chemotherapy, is it likely that they're going to maintain their fertility with the one testicle? Correct. Yeah. We don't see really any change in rates of conception and um, between men who have one testicle and no testicle or one or two. Sorry. And what about erections? No, it should really have no impact. So one testicle is more than enough to maintain a testosterone level, which is sort of helps with libido and erections. Um, have not seen any, I'm not familiar of any literature that there's a decrease in testosterone levels or difficulty with erections. It's and a, and do men experience orgasm in any different way with the one single testicle? I'm, again, no one's heard. Not, not that I've heard. Yeah, not that <laughs> that's a very good question, though. Yeah, that would be an interesting. Not that I think about this stuff all the time. <laughs> interesting thing to, to ask the next couple of guys I see, but I have not heard of that. Yeah. It's, so really their quality of life becomes normal. Correct. Outside of just having to see somebody like you on a regular basis. And, Correct. And wait for the good news that everything is still good. Yes. Yeah. Well, great. I mean, you know, this is obviously, I think it's one of the less publicized great accomplishments of the last 30 years of uh, or 40 years almost of uh, cancer therapeutics. We hear a lot about uh, pediatric acute lymphoblastic leukemia, mm-hmm. uh, but testicular cancer, like guys used to die of this, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, a real success story, and, and d- large credit is due to the early studies on the chemotherapy regimens, and they really approached it in a very um, dedicated and systematic way. And there's a lot of data, a lot of information, and we're even now starting to, with increased information with genetics and genomics, being able to tailor chemotherapy regimens to people based on their responses and some of their markers and genomic classifiers. So mm. there's still, we're still making it better. 
Yeah, so that's great. Yeah. And uh, this may not be in your wheelhouse exactly, but uh, as I recall, there are some testicular cell cancers that actually don't present in the scrotum at all, like in the chest or something? There can be, yes. So, um, well, to take a step back and a sort of an aside to that, there sure. are testicular cancers that are not um, germ cell tumors. So there okay. can be germ cell tumors which originate not in the testicle but in the mediastinum or elsewhere. That's the chest, right? Yep, in the chest. And, so uh, they're not really testicular cancer. So, right. So we, they're a germ cell tumor um, of non-testicular origin. Okay, but you and can have germ cell tumors in the testis, right? Correct. So okay. that's the most common. So if we, we call them testicular cancers, and about 80-90% are germ cell tumors that are in the testicle. We can have other s- kinds of tumors and abnormalities in the testicle. But the germ cell tumors are the ones that we've kind of been talking about. Gotcha. That's the most common, and those are the ones that require chemotherapy, surgery, et cetera. And yes, some of those can not present in the testicle. But the urologist probably doesn't get too involved with that. Um, Typically not initially. We would evaluate and make sure there wasn't evidence, a primary in the testicle that had sort of burned out or gone or, or that was very small and not detected on physical exam. But if there is something in the chest, then their treatment will be chemotherapy. So as a urologist and a surgeon, we typically are not involved initially. Right. So, so what are the other cancers in the testis that are not germ cell cancers? So there can be some benign tumors. Um, and uh, those actually can be detected with ultrasound, so cysts, um, right. adenomas. And then uh, there are tumors that are they're malignant, but they're localized. And those are some different cell types within the testicle. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So here on Testicular Awareness Month, uh, is there anything else in terms of genital health that uh, you'd like our listeners to know about or think about? Um, I think one thing is main, maintaining cleanliness is important. We know that there's some irritation and uh, can be involved with infections. And, and so there's a lot of controversy about circumcision versus not circumcising. And right. I think that if you're not circumcised, um, you are need to make sure that you maintain good uh, penile cleanliness with retracting the foreskin and and uh, washing well warm soap and water. That prevents infections like sexually transmitted infections as well as just inflammation and scarring that can occur, which can make it more difficult to have an erection um, and have intercourse and as well as urinate. So Gotcha. Yeah. And and for men who are circumcised that's that's less of an issue. Much less of an issue. Yeah. It's still good to be clean though. Still good to be clean. And yeah. uh, in terms of uh, uh, infections that you see, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you probably do see some sexually transmitted diseases in your practice and then then a lot of men, you know, end up getting diagnosed with prostatitis and things like that. Is that right? Correct. Yep. So, uh-huh. yeah, those are sometimes related, not always. Um, there is a f- the prostate and prostatitis is a, another sort of enigmatic area. We don't really – there are a lot of different causes, but mostly we try to treat the symptoms um, and try to help men through that period of difficulty with urination and, and, um, and sometimes pain. Yeah. Right. Testicular cancer itself is, in general, not painful. Uh, Correct. Yeah. So um, as we kind of mentioned in the earlier part, you can have pain in your testicles. It can can be from a variety of things that very rarely is testicular cancer. Um, That is more common, and most often it resolves on its own if you have pain in the scrotum. Um, 
And so if you have that, it's important to do an exam and see if you have something in your testicle, but uh, it's pain itself without any abnormality is unlikely to be testicular cancer. Gotcha. Yeah. And again, I, I, I keep coming back to, you know, just thinking that uh, you know, in terms of men's uh, genital health, you know, uh, just because of the anatomy, men are interacting you know, with their penis and their scrotum all the time. So there really isn't any reason for uh, people to not really be familiar uh, with, with landmarks, right? Yeah, no, that's a very good point. They're real, it, they're, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of handling that can be done and it should be done in a directed way. Just it doesn't have to be often. It can be once a month, once every other month. Um, usually in the shower is easier because it's warm. The scrotum hangs a little bit lower. The muscles are relaxed. And uh, soapy water makes everything a little bit smoother and easier to do an exam. But, um, yeah, it should be, it's a good idea to be familiar with your, with your body and yeah. be able to notice things that change. Right. And uh, you talked about the circumcision issue uh, a little while ago. And, you know, it seems that in the last 20 years I'm thinking there's been this uh, in the United States, anyway, in North America, this uh, decline in the uh, expectation that all men, all children be circumcised. But I, So I'm, what I'm wondering, and, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but I'm wondering if there's a significant number of kids whose father is circumcised and who, uh, where the kid is not and where the parents don't really know how to teach the appropriate genital care because they've never had to do it. Yeah, do you see that a, at all? That's a really interesting question. I personally do not. Um, I would have to ask my colleagues that primarily take care of do take care of pediatric patients. Yeah. Um, you know, it remains controversial, so I, I don't want to go out on a limb here too much. But uh, I think there is growing evidence that it probably doesn't make any difference if you maintain good hygiene. I think that's that the main main thing but in terms of uh how to teach a child um good hygiene that's uh, i think great opportunity for the pediatrician to educate the parents if they're not familiar with it and the web is an amazing resource dr preston sprankle is an associate professor of medical oncology at yale school of medicine if you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.